You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. While you turn there, just let me say a few things as we wrap up another ministry year. Just exciting to see all that God has done, isn't it? Amazing to see the, the lives change, the salvations, the baptisms. End of it every year, I kind of stop and reflect, and it's just amazing to me that we prayed before we even started this church four and a half, almost five years ago now. We're like, God, do something in this church that you're going to get the credit for that's clearly obvious that we didn't do. And uh, he does it every single year. It's just so amazing uh, to see. And so I just wanted to say, too, that um, we're just thankful. We're just thankful. Yeah, flip your, flip, flip your hands up if you want a Bible. That's what the ushers are there for. You can follow along. I just want to say, too, we're so thankful to be here. We're just uh, amazed at the way that God is building a church. And uh, we came here truly, I tell you this every year, but it's true five years ago, going like, God, you got to show up. Or like, we're going to be standing here all by ourselves with no church around us. And we're just amazed to see all the people that God's brought into our family, not just church family, but into our personal lives. And uh, we're just thankful. I'm just thankful to be the pastor of this church. And uh, don't we have amazing elders? It's just awesome to see the godly men that God's brought around us. Our staff is just clicking on all cylinders by God's grace. And, uh, and you, our church family, we're just we're thrilled to have you a part of our lives. So just want to tell you that as we uh, wrap up a uh, ministry year. Uh, we believe the only reason things are happening here, just to make it clear, the only reason things are happening here is because we are staying low and God is staying high. And so we're praying that God, that continues for your lives and our lives, that we stay low before God and he stays high and that he keeps doing uh, what he's doing. But we believe that we're just starting to see what God is gonna do in our church, amen? And so keep praying with that, praying over that with us. We're just blessed. And so I also want to give you a challenge, as I can't give you a blessing without a challenge. Here's the challenge for the summer. Uh, don't neglect your spiritual life. Don't neglect your spiritual life. And uh, I'm going to be you know, gone off the pulpit for a few weeks, taking a bit of a preaching break. And I want you to be diligent in getting into your word, the word of God, being diligent in your own prayer times, your own worship, being diligent in getting to church. If you're here, if you're not here, getting somewhere else to church. I think, I think Satan's greatest joy is summer. You know why? Sweet, it's going to be hot outside. They're going to put their Bibles away. They're going to stop praying. They get so consumed with everything else. They're going to, yeah, church is going to be a convenience for me. And so I just encourage you to put your spiritual health and vitality first and foremost in your life so we don't come back at the end of the summer and I come down back to a, a beaten up church because the enemy's had his way with you. And so I will pray for you as you pray for us, but I encourage you to uh, go hard for the Lord. He is not just, uh, not just a, something that we do or an afterthought. He's our priority, Right? So let's go after the Lord hard together over the summer. Um, great. I know you're ready for a barbecue, but we have a bigger feast on hand before the barbecue. The feast our souls on the word of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. You can fill your bellies full in an hour, but if you don't have your soul full, who cares? And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into just the last five verses of Romans chapter 8. Uh, the title of this one is simply this, God's overpowering love. God's overpowering love, let me pray that we would uh, hear this and understand this and really digest this in the depths of our souls. Father, we come to you together today as a body of believers, first of all, saying, God, you're awesome. God, we thank you for revealing to us a glimpse of the glory of the living God, even looking at what you've done in our lives. And it hasn't been an easy year for, for, for all of us. There's been ups and downs. The video paints a picture of it just being so easy, but it hasn't been, God. And yet the glory of the living God has been alive and well in us. Thank you, God, this past year for revealing to, 
yourself to us in, in the ways we needed you the most. Thank you for, for being our provider. Thank you, God, for being our healer. Thank you, Father, for being our sustenance and our all in all. Thank you, God, for being our comfort and our peace. Thank you, God, for giving us the unbelievable love of a father this past year. Thank you for all you've done in our church as well. We clearly recognize that no man can change a heart, only you can. God, thank you for hearing our prayers and answering our prayers week in and week out. Oh God, we've been praying, would you come and would you meet your people? And God, you've been doing that. We thank you for that and we pray, God, that for more of that. Even today, God, even today, we pray for more activity of you in our lives. Would Even today, as we open up your scriptures, God, would we be zoned in on the word you have for us? Would we be impacted deeply by the truths that we hear today. And God, I pray you'd open up every, every mind and every heart to not just hear the truth today, but to know the truth. God, may we be changed by the power of the love of God. That's our greatest desire, to be changed by the power of the love of our God. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. You're so faithful. Even we're faithless, God. You can't disown yourself, and you're faithful. Thank you, Lord. We are eager now and we're expecting to hear from you again today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter eight, let me read these last five verses and we're just gonna unpack it for you. The subtitle on this little section, half I did last week, half this week is simply this, God's everlasting love. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you have to say about that? Awesome. I know some of you are already thinking, okay, here we go, another sermon on the love of God, but let me be straightforward with you guys today. We can't move on from the simple yet profound truths of the love of God. We miss the love of God. We miss the rest of the Christian life. How many of you guys know the, the verse John 3.16? Come on, hands up, hands up. How many of you know John 3.16? Some of you don't have your hands up, and I know you know it. Let's quote it together. Just quote it in the version you know. I don't care what version it is. Let's quote John 3.16 as loud as you can with gusto. Let's go. What is it? For God, you guys were way more on than the first service. They had the KJV, NASB, NIV, and I'm trying to pick them all out. John three sixteen. Even if you don't know church well, you've seen it on the billboard. You know, some guy holding up the, behind the, the goalpost at a football game, right at the championship, and the political debates, or some guy. So John three sixteen. Let me ask you this: We know it so well, but do you really believe that this morning? Does even reciting John three sixteen do something in your soul as you realize the depth of the love of God this morning? What about the little song "Jesus Loves Me" for when you were a kid? Who knows Jesus loves me? I won't make you sing it because that'd be bad news for all of us. And I got a mic, and that's bad news, right? But think about those words. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible. Keep going. 
And how does the chorus go? Yes. 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 Because. These are, this is, these are amazing truths of Scripture. That honestly, the older we get, they shouldn't be getting more like, ah, oh, that's just a Bible verse, and oh, that's a kid's song. Stop singing that, kids. Sing something else. These should be the, the truths that we're founded on that stir our hearts and that drive our lives from the depths of our beings. Do you realize that there's no greater truth you can hear on earth than the simple truth of the gospel, that God loves me, that Jesus loves me? My heart today in preaching Romans chapter eight is that you'd be stirred again with an affection for Jesus, that, that Jesus, that John 3.16 wouldn't just be a Bible verse. I know that Jesus loves me. It wouldn't just be a song that I sing, but they would bring smiles to our faces and a, a joy in our heart and a passion to recite it and sing it like we were kids again. And really, when you get the truths of this text, you can't help but be like, wow, the love of God. To live fully alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is a truth that we have to get today. It is a truth that of God's overpowering love for me. Here's, the, here's one sentence to summarize this whole, this whole few verses. One sentence, I'm just gonna unpack this sentence for you. Not traditional points, but here's the sentence. Although the onslaught will come, I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ and can rest in his infinite love. That's this passage in a nutshell. Although the onslaught will come, I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ and can rest in his infinite love. First point I want you to write down is this, although the onslaught will come. Although the onslaught will come, I think today in our North American society, we have this idea that there's like an immunity conch that we get and there's gonna be no hardships and trials. There's like an easy button that we push and somehow we get past all the trials of life. And so when they come, we're like, what in the world? Uh, this must mean that God doesn't love me and yet that's the furthest thing from the truth. Look what it says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We learned last week that there are going to be people who rise up against us. If God is for us, verse 31, then who could be against us? There, are, there is going to be opposition in this life. But we don't have to fear that because if God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? Bring it on. Bring the armies on. This is really transitioning to another, another uh, aspect of this whole God is for us. And it's when it says here, who shall separate us, the word who can really be translated into the Greek into the what. It's really like, so no one can come against us and Paul's reminding us that it's also nothing can come against us. It's not just people, it's also circumstances. Although they'll rise up, they cannot separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes into a list of seven things here that kind of encompass the whole scope of life. But the undergirding truth is this, for repentant, forgiven, surrendered followers of Jesus Christ, we have full assurance that nothing can drive a wedge between us and God. Listen to the things he, he lists here, the, some of the circumstances of life that cause us to wonder, does God still love me? Increase in intensity as they go, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword Helps to understand these words because you first read them, you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me, it applies to somebody else in a much more difficult circumstance. Yet, yet tribulation, the Greek word is this, it's thlipsis. It, it really means to be squeezed or placed under pressure, which is a physical or emotional stress. 
Those times where you feel like we're shaking like a pop can, you ever, like a Coke can, you feel like, you feel like the, the world around you and the pressures and the stresses, they're, they're shaking you up and you're like, man, I feel so shaken inside. Does, does God still love me? We've all been there, right? Finances get tight and we start wondering, man, is, is God still with me? Maybe it's a rat race of life and, and work and family and church and it's got us back into the corner and we're feeling all this pressure, this pressure, whatever pressure you feel today. The question usually arises, does, if God loved me, wouldn't he get, get me out of this? But the answer to that is simply this, is he might not get you out of the squeeze, but he still loves you within the squeeze. What about distress? Distress is an idea of being strictly confined or being helplessly hemmed in, finding yourself in situations where there's no way out. And, and we often find ourselves in situations where humanly there's just like no way out. Maybe, maybe today it's a loveless marriage and you're just like, man, I just, I, I'm trapped. Or maybe, maybe it's a, a coworker, a boss. It's just being impossible in your life and you feel like this is what life has dealt you. Or maybe it's your kids and they're going off the rails and they just don't know what to do about it. Maybe depression is kind of zoning in on you and you're feeling trapped and you're, you're like, do I have any assurance in any of these things? Do I have any assurance there's hope beyond? You have one assurance and it's simply this, that God loves you. What about persecution? That's a word that we don't talk about much in North America. In fact, many preachers skip it because it doesn't apply to us and yet persecution happens on a daily basis in a minor way in our lives. Those times when you're ostracized or made fun of and your family decides that you're not invited anymore to the family reunions because you love Jesus or on the soccer field, they're all gathering on a spot and you come along and you just stop the conversation because they know that you're not gonna partake and participate in what they're talking about and it leaves you feeling all alone and wondering, does anyone care? You know who cares? God cares and God still loves you. And even though we might not feel persecution in the way that many people in the world do, I don't think we're immune from it and I think it's gonna get greater. In fact, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12 tell us this, rejoice and be glad for great is the reward of those who are persecuted. If they persecuted the prophets, they're also gonna persecute you. I'm not foretelling our prophet or anything, but I think it's gonna get harder for us and this question's gonna come up more and more in our lives as our government goes a different direction than the word of God. But it doesn't mean that we're separated from God's love. What about famine? Will famine separate you from God's love even if economic times get harder and house markets crash and interest rates jump and jobs dry up and food is harder to come by? Look out west right now in Alberta. Things are hard. Does that mean God loves them less? What's the answer? Of course not. Does it mean that because it's harder in other parts of the country that God loves people less in other parts of the world like Congo and Ethiopia and Haiti? Are they loved less by God? No way. Famine can't separate us from the love of God. What about nakedness? Even if we can't like fully clothe ourselves and we're walking around in embarrassment and shame, does that mean that finally then God, that's the sign that God doesn't love us anymore? No, impossible. God, it's impossible for God to not love his children. Even in danger, in those times of your life where you're, you're in danger, it's an illness or an outside of danger, or sword. Sword isn't like a little play thing they're talking about in this passage. It's like a, a, a dagger that assassins would use to take away Christians. And he's like, even if they come after you to kill you, guess what? Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. This is awesome. I think today... When these things happen, we get in this mindset in our culture 
where we equate easy, comfortable, everything's going well with God's love. It's been preached for years in North America. I don't, I don't get where it comes from. It's been preached. And so in our minds, when something terrible happens or a tragedy happens, our first question is always what? Why, God? Why? Our second question is always like, do you still love me? Ever been there? Come on, be honest with me a little bit this morning. Ever been there? This question's come up a few times in my life, more times than I'd like to admit. I've shared before, but this question came up a lot when Maya was in the hospital when she was first born, and we spent three months solid at hospital in London, a whole year, in and out, in and out. I remember coming home going like, but God, I'm, first was why, but I'm trying to honor you with my life, and uh, I thought you loved me. Somehow we've got the whole wrong idea of Christianity in North America. And we've allowed suffering to define God's love for us instead of allowing God's love to define suffering for us. Huge difference, isn't there? But if you look throughout human history, guess what? If you look throughout human history, suffering and God's children are like hand in hand. It's like being Canadian and watching hockey. It's like the Leafs and losing. It's just hand in hand. And that's what he's trying to tell us in verse 36. He's, Paul's trying to tell us, like, don't be surprised when suffering comes. It doesn't affect God's love for you. God's love for you shines just as strong in the sunny seasons as it does in the dark seasons. God's love for you is as strong in the summer as it is the winter. As it is written, he says in verse 36, for your sake we have been killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's a direct quote from Psalm 44, 22. Reminding us that part of being a Christian means that we are going to suffer. And suffering does not negate the love that God has for you. It's not hard to get any church history book and you'll see Christian suffering, Christian suffering. Even in the Bible, read Hebrews 11, verses 36 to 40 in the, in the kind of wall of fame of faith and you see believers who faced horrible circumstances and horrendous treatment, many things that we'd be like, there's no way that God could be a part of that. And yet at the end of that passage, it says this, how come God allowed these things to happen because the world was not worthy of them? And God in his love had something far better for them that are only realized that we are, when we are, only realize when we are together with him in his presence. And it's not just church history that these terrible things continue to happen. Just jumped on the internet this past week, Voice of the Martyrs, just Thursday, I was preparing my sermon. Like, what, what is happening around the world? That this is, this is the history of Christians for his sake. We're being killed all the day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Is that, that's not happening today, though, right? And we're so comfortable here. Like, it can't be happening. We just kind of skip over that. Like, that was a pastime. Do you realize that today there's just as many atrocities going on to people in the faith as there was 2,000 years ago? Thursday alone, here's the headlines from, headlines from Voice of the Martyrs. In Vietnam, the wife of an imprisoned pastor was beaten to a pulp. In Nigeria, there's a fatal murder of a 24-year-old guy. You know why? Because he posted a Christian thing on Facebook. In India, 28 people, including kids, were beaten and driven from their homes twice, twice in a two-day period. What does this mean? Does this mean that God doesn't love them anymore? Does this mean he loves us a little more because we have all the comforts we need? No way. God's love is way broader and way stronger than our little minds can comprehend. 
If you were to read at the bottom of each of those updates from each of those people, it was amazing because, you know, underneath each of them, it says, here's the deal. Here's what's happening in their lives. But underneath it says, and yet so-and-so is thriving in the Lord because they're relying on God's grace and God's love and your prayers to get them through this horrible beating. And the family of so-and-so who was killed is counting on your prayers and the love of Jesus to carry them throughout this horrible ordeal. God's love remains strong in the hardest of times. Paul's not writing this as a comfy, cozy theologian from a little office somewhere with a book in front of him. Paul is like a hardened sailor, spiritually, who had endured every possible harsh element. He's not writing this like, hey, like I'm studying my theology. I'm gonna write this and hope the best for you guys. I just want you to know God loves you. He's been through it all. He's experienced it all. And he's also experienced the overwhelming love of God through it. Write this verse down. You can look it up this afternoon and read it so you don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 27. Paul gives his little spiritual resume of suffering and includes stuff like being imprisoned and beaten with lashes, with rods, with stones. And if you could find something to beat Paul with, he was beaten with it. Often near death, he was shipwrecked, danger from robbers and rivers and his own people and foreigners in the city, in the wilderness. You get this idea that Paul was like 100% all the time beaten down. Sometimes without food and cold and exposed. There's no point in pretending in church today. God didn't save us to a life of prosperity and wealth and all the goodies that our world says is successful. We were saved to an abundant life in Jesus Christ that supersedes all of those things. And when the bulldozer of life steamrolls us, we don't need to ask the question that comes so naturally to us of like, do you love me anymore? You know what we can just assume? God loves me. God loves me greater and God loves me still in the midst of whatever's happening. I was struck by this this week because I'm like you. I asked the why, I asked the still, do you love me anymore? And I, my mind went to my kids. And uh, it's amazing how my kids question my love for them on a weekly basis. And I kind of started snickers. I was thinking about it because you know like, dad, can I play computer? No, ah, you don't love me anymore. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> Dad, can I have a snack? No, not now. Ah, oh, you don't love me. I thought you loved me. Why don't we have pizza tonight? No, we're just going to have like chicken and potatoes. Ah, oh, I thought you loved me. Aren't we the same? I'm looking at my kids going, are you, are you out of your mind? I want to list all the things I do to show them I love them. You know what I mean? Okay, let's start from the beginning. Day one. You're going to be here a while, son. I usually give him three or four just for good measure, you know, before I pat him on the back and tell him he's going to be okay. And yet we're the same. And when the hard times come, instead of asking, why do you love me? Here's what we ought to do. We ought to stop and remember all the ways that God has already shown us that he loves us immensely, starting from day one. Starting from before the creation of the world, before, before we even thought of, how did he show he loved us? The greatest way possible, with a love that I could never even fathom to give to my kids even, a sacrificial love. He gave his only son for us, Jesus Christ. And think about the last number of years, however old you are, 
how God has shown that to you over and over and over and over and over again. Every season that comes to a close can be summarized in my life. I'm sure yours with simply this, God's loving faithfulness. God's loving faithfulness. Suffering does not and cannot diminish God's love for you. It's it's physically impossible for suffering to diminish God's love for you. That's an assurance for us today. That's a hope for us today. That's a joy for us today. I know the question comes, well, why does God allow all these things to happen? How can a loving God allow all these things to happen? Ultimately, I don't know the full answer to that this side of heaven. It's one of the mysteries you can ask God as soon as you get there, but partially it's in the verse we read last week, right? God works everything out together for good. Or sorry, two weeks ago, for those who love him, God works it all together for good. I'd have to concur with a theologian that said this, I don't fully understand it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. He said this, how can a mere finite human being be sure that an infinite God in all of his wisdom will not tolerate short-range plans and evils in order for more long-range goods that we cannot foresee? How can a mere finite human being be sure that an infinite God in all of his wisdom will not tolerate short-range pains and evils in order for more long-range goods that we cannot possibly foresee? The point is simply this. like We can't understand God, but we just believe the Bible is true, that God's love is greater than all my sin, all my shame, and all my circumstances at the same time. Somehow I think we've been built in North America to think that it's all got to be good or else God doesn't love us, the sooner you can get rid of that thinking and that false theology, the better off you'll be. God's love doesn't change. The better off we'll be too when we get the second part of this, this text, verse, uh, verse 37. Not only does God love us, We read last week, he gives us all things. He gives us all things. And the all things he gives us allows us to be more than conquerors through Christ in the midst of whatever is coming. How do you know God loves you? Because God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, gives you inner strength to be a more than a conqueror through whatever circumstances happening in your life. By the power of God, he rallies people around you to remind you of the truth of Scripture in your most difficult times. By the power of God, he seems to get us through even the, the, the times we think, I could never get through that. How do we get through those things? Because God's love shows up in a way that we would have never seen it or understood it in a different context. Look what verse 37 says. Are these things going to take us from God's love? Will tribulation take you from God's love? What's the answer? Come on, with with some real conviction and passion. Will will tribulation take you from God's love? Will distress? Persecution? It's getting weaker. Famine? There we go. Nakedness? Danger? Sword? Why? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors for him through him who loved us. You know what it means to be more than a conqueror? It doesn't mean we just survive the storms of life. It means we thrive in the storms of life. It doesn't mean that God takes away the storm. It means he gives us inner fortitude to make it through the storm in a way that only he can do that. 
It means when people and circumstances try to push us down, we're like one of those boys in the ocean. You ever try to push a boy down in the ocean? What happens? It pops back up. You try to sit on that thing. You get all your whole family around it trying to keep it down. It pops back up and it doesn't just like stay below the surface. It pops up and it is like bouncing on top of the surface. That's how God allows us to conquer. He doesn't just allow us to tread water and keep our heads above water. He allows us to walk on water as Peter did in the New Testament in the circumstantial way in our lives. God's love sustains us to be more than conquerors, to be more than a conqueror, as an overwhelmingly, overwhelming conqueror, to be a super conqueror, to have total domination over whatever is happening. How do we do that? It's not by bucking up and trying harder and figuring, it's by trusting in God and the love of our Father. When I think of this word conqueror, the image that comes to mind is like a, a big warrior who overtakes the world, kind of like an Alexander the Great. You know, one of those guys that likes history dominated and no one could stop him. And, and a lot of times that's what we want this conquering to mean. We want it to mean that, that God will take us from our, our weakest and the world doesn't like us. And now we're on top of the world sitting on a throne. And, and, and yet that's not the way that this conquer means all the time. Sometimes he does. Sometimes we hear those stories of God like taking somebody from poverty to riches and they're giving God the glory. Sometimes we hear that. Sometimes we hear stories of like, man, I was stuck in this disease and, and there's no way out and God healed me and now I'm healed and healthy. We, we think we always want to apply it in those terms of conquering so that like, right, don't we? Sometimes God works that way. Sometimes he does. We see stories all over the place of that, but, but most of the time, that's not the conquering God does in us by the love of Jesus. The conquering he does in us is not like Alexander the Great where we're like, no one can stop us and we're like invincible. More times than that type of conquering, the conquering is more like Louis, Louis Zamperini from the movie Unbroken. Remember that story? U.S. Olympian who enlisted for World War II and was shot down out of the sky and spent 47 days floating on a raft, barely surviving, wondering where his next meal was going to come from and how God was ever going to rescue him, only to find himself one day being rescued after 47 days, being rescued from the sea to a prisoner of war in a concentration camp where for some reason he was singled out and they had it out against him and treated him more harshly and, and somehow in the midst of that, as hard as it was, it didn't get better. It didn't get better, but guess what? God gave him the inner strength to get through it with inner fortitude that he could have never come up with on his own. We want the Alexander the Great Conqueror. This means that most of the time God gives us the conquering to the ability to stand up underneath the most dire of circumstances. 2 Corinthians 4 paints this out for us in a real way. God doesn't always conquer as in take it away. He conquers by gives, giving us all that we need to stand up under it. 2 Corinthians 4, but this is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel isn't some, this, this easy peasy life where everything is smooth for us. Here's the hope of the gospel. We have this treasure, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the gospel in jars of clay. Our human body is just frail and feeble to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God. And not to us. Therefore, therefore, as believers, we are afflicted in every way. We're not, we don't bypass it. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16 says this, so we do not lose heart. 
So we don't lose heart, though our outer selves are wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. Get that? Light and momentary affliction. I'm not talking down on anyone's hard situation they're finding themselves in, but the truth of Scripture is this. It's light and momentary. It's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And God allows us in his love and mercy to conquer here on earth. Let's be honest, anybody can have a smile in good times when, when the bank account's full and the roof's over their head in their mansion and their car's running well. Everyone can have a smile on their face. Then it doesn't take a Christian to have a smile on their face, but how many have a smile on their face when the roof caves in, the bank account comes to nothing, and your belly is empty? Well, if I had all the luxury of the world, then the whole world look at me like, I want Jesus. It's not true. But how many people in the most dire of circumstances have risen above on the inside and people looked at them like, man, I want what you have. I might have what the world has, but I don't have that. Power of Jesus, a treasure in jars of clay. This is what it means to conquer. William McDonald says it this way. This is what it means to conquer. It's not simply that we triumph over these great forces, but in doing so, we bring glory to God. Blessing to others and good to ourselves. We make slaves out of our enemies and stepping stones out of our roadblocks. How do we do this? Because the love of God surrounds us at all times in our lives and enables us to accomplish all that he has planned for our lives and even get through some of the harshest circumstances. How do people get through these hard things? Anyone can succeed. Few people can Handle adversity in a way that's God-glorifying. How do people do it? Because the power and the love of God invades them and holds them up, gives, them, gives us buoyancy in the harshest of storms. We've seen this so over and over. I've seen this in my life. I've seen this in some of your lives. This passage means that people can crush us but not conquer us. You realize that people can crush us but they can't conquer us. People are gonna come in and out of our lives, some in good ways, some in hard ways, Let's just be honest, divorce, crushing, but by the love of Jesus, not conquering. How do we get through? Because we know there's someone who still loves us in the midst of the pain of watching the person we love the most walk out on us. Circumstances can cripple us, but they can't conquer us. Picture the worst thing that you could picture here on earth, and there's a lot of them, but I know one of them for most of us is the, the loss of a loved one or a child can cripple us, decimate us. And yet we heard in the baptism tank this year as Rick Highcoop got in there and said, you know what? I had such a hard time with my daughter's death a few years ago and, and I had a hard time worshiping. And then he broke into, remember he broke into tears and he said, but God has been so good to me. How can I not worship God? Yes, they can cripple us, but it can't conquer us. Even disease can kill us, but it can't conquer us. Disease can kill us, but it can't conquer us. I've told you this before, but it was a profound moment in my life as a young believer, still believing that this gonna conquer all things meant that my father-in-law was gonna get healed and it was gonna mean he was gonna be better and everyone's gonna give God the glory and believing with faith like I never had in my life that he was just gonna get healed that day. And I remember him 
Last words he ever said that I remember, that I recall were simply this, as we had the whole family gathered around his bed and I'm still believing, I'm still believing. And he looked up and he smiled. He kind of gave us a quick little synopsis of his life. And then he said this, he said in weakness, he goes, don't be sad, everybody. Like, I'm going to be with Jesus. I call it the eternal vacation. And when you get there, it's not as bad as you think. Then he said this, he said this, he said, God's been so good to me my whole life. God's just been so good to me. And then he slipped off into a coma in the last, and then 12 hours later, there he was in God's presence. Cancer killed him, but it didn't conquer him. I remember sitting on the dock the next morning as the sun was coming up between four and six somewhere in there as we were waiting for the coroner to come and everything. And I was sitting up there and I was like, doing the why, God, do you love us? And uh, as the sun was coming up, this, this thought struck me that, hey man, like I've healed him in a far greater way than you could have ever asked for. He's in heaven with me right now dancing. Can crush us, can cripple us, can kill us, but it can't conquer us. David and I got to go and visit with Lynn Black, a member of our church. Battling cancer and hasn't been out for a while because she's sick. And sat down and said, How are you doing, Lynn? She's like, Oh, I'm doing great, Pastor. I'm like, No, really, how are you doing? Well, the tears started to flow. It's just so hard, hey? And now I'm here and this is where I'm probably going to be. And who knows if I'll ever get out of this place. And, and we cried. She cried for a little while and we just kind of sat and prayed for her. And, and when she consoled herself, she said this. She said, but I'll tell you this, Pastor. You know Lynn Black, right? The devil can come after me and he, maybe this is God's plan to take me, but he's not gonna crush me. Something like that. Think of another person that you've probably heard of before, uh, Joni, Johnny Erickson Tata. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? At 18, she was with a group of friends and dove into a lake back in the late 60s and didn't quite judge the shallowness of the water well and so she broke her spine and became a paraplegic from the neck down. You're like, oh man, she was probably depressed for a while she was. She got, she got past that. Well, then God healed her. Actually, he didn't. And she got past that too. And her life became a testimony to God's grace of what it means to be more than a conqueror. Since that accident happened at 18, she's now older on in her day. She, start, she started ministries to children with disabilities. She's got a radio program encouraging other people. She's written songs and singing songs. She learned how to paint with her mouth and she can paint with her mouth. Amazing pictures. She can write. She's written 48 books or something like that since it's happened. She has been bringing glory to God since the day the accident happened. God has turned tragedy in her life into triumph and allowed her to be more than a conqueror and have a, a beautiful ministry that, that, that would have never been apart from the accident. Then in 2010, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and somehow the Lord allowed her to get past that too. Does more than a conqueror mean it's gonna be easy and there's gonna, everything's gonna be bouncing off of us like we're superheroes and everything like that? It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is, what it means is God's love is going to carry us at all times until the pointed day where we meet him. God's love is astounding. God doesn't, God's love doesn't meet us, doesn't leave us at our worst. He actually meets us at our worst. That we can thrive for his glory, that we can thrive for his glory. And we can do this, we can rest in his infinite love. And we can rest in his infinite love. 
Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is all based on the love of God, not your love for God, not your faithfulness to God, but God's love and faithfulness to you. Verse 38, for I am sure... In other words, convinced, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is a truth you can take home with you today and you can bank on this being true. And this is a a truth that you can never break by leaning on it. God's love is infinite. God's love is... There's not even a word to describe the vastness of the love of God. You believe it today? Are you living it today? This is the greatest hope of us as believers is that we have a love that will never fail us. Here's what Paul says. He says, I am sure, I am convinced. I'm convinced. You're like, well, what about about if you're not convinced? The Holy Spirit lives in you when those moments of fear and doubt come. It's okay to express them to God and each other. We're not trying to be like more spiritual than we are, right? We're human beings who are gonna doubt and who are gonna have fear. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. He reminds us of the deep truths of scripture, the simple truth that we often are like, ah, I don't need that one anymore. Let's move on to some more theological things that are more meaningful and more, really, we can move on from this? We can't. But the Holy Spirit reminds us of the deep love of God for us. And he brings scriptures to mind that remind us that that God is for us, not against us. We can anchor our lives in this, that no matter what happens, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. These verses here are more a cause for reflection than interpretation. Simply put, to summarize these verses, simply means this, God's love is out of this world. Look over Romans 8. Read it again this week. Read it again today. Don't move on from Romans 8. Look it over, and what you come to is this crescendo. It's like the Hallelujah Chorus. You ever been to the Hallelujah Chorus? And it kind of gets, it builds, it builds, it builds. Everybody's standing, and everyone's like, this is what it comes to. Wow, in all these things, we just stand because God loves us. And there's really no response to that, but just like, wow. Wow. These are cause for reflection Kind of reiterate some things we've already talked about, but can death separate you from God's love? No, death actually puts a smile on faces, our faces as believers. People, they, they scratch, they're like, I don't get that, but we, we snicker in the face of death. Why? 1 Corinthians 15, death has no more sting over us. It's got no more power over us. Death, actually, if you want to know, death catapults us into the presence of God, where we can then touch him and hear him and feel him and attend him. Like, death, Awesome can't separate us from God's love. It actually brings us to a physical reality of God. Can life, can life separate us? No, regardless of which path you go down, God's love surrounds you. God's love's like a fog. It surrounds you. Right path, wrong path, God's love surrounds you. Can angels or rulers, this is a, a healthy view of angels these days and a healthy understanding of angels and demons and how great and powerful they are. Yeah, they're created beings or spiritual beings, but even spiritual beings can't take you from God's love. Angels, good angels, they'll never lead you down the wrong path. They'll never, they'll never trick you and fool you. Bad angels, demons, they think they have power. They have no power over God. They can't grab you from God's hand or take you away from God's plan for your life. Supernatural things of this world cannot squelch the love of God. What about things now? Can things in this present? No, things in this present look around. Anything you see? 
And anything you fear can take you from God's love. Anything you, you can see, it's not gonna take you from God's love. What about things just around the corner? I can't see it yet, but I fear there's gonna be something coming down the road that's gonna take me from God's love. No, nor things to come. Nor things to come, not even powers, earthly powers, no matter where our government takes us. Even if the world as we know it falls apart, guess what? God's love is going to remain constant and stable. Nothing in all of astrology, height or depth, the highest or lowest points in all of creation can take you from God's love. This simply means this, that anything in the created realm cannot touch the uncreated love of God. Anything in the creative realm cannot touch the uncreated God's love. Not even yourself. Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? No matter where you go, no matter what you come up against, God's love is stronger. Somehow we've equated God's love with super glue. We know that you put super glue on something and it only takes time. Manipulate it the right way, it's gonna come apart, but that's not God's love at all. God's love's like the magnet at the science center that you're pulling on. There's an invisible force there that you can't get it apart. You get the strongest kid in class. Remember science center in school? You get to the strongest, you can't, there's an invisible force there that you cannot pull it apart. That's God's love for us. It's without limits. We knows no boundaries. You can't confine it. You can't hem it in or hold it back. You can't define it. It's beyond human explanation and description. It's out of this world. It's bigger than the vastness of our galaxy is what this is telling us. It's, it's eternal. It's without end. It never stops. It goes on forever. It's equally strong in every single season. And it packs more power and heat than the sun. It's what gives light and life to the believer's life. This is the overpowering love of God. If you're like me today, you're like, really? Really? This is better than I ever thought. How can God love me and all of my insecurities and inabilities and ineptness. God still loves me? That's awesome. It makes me want to say John 3.16 in a new way, doesn't it you? Makes me want to sing Jesus loves me again, but with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't you? It makes me want to live a life that simply worships God and walks with God and then spends myself working for God and God's kingdom. This is the overpowering love of God. Let me finish this by reading to you a song that Johnny Erickson wrote and sang just a couple years ago in a movie called Alone Yet Not Alone. It's powerful because as she wrote it and sang it, her husband was actually pushing on her diaphragm to help her have enough air to get the words out. It just summarizes this whole reality of God's love for us in a new way. I pray you get this. I pray if you haven't experienced God's love today, that today is the day you're like, I can't run from this any longer. I need to let God pour his love into me. If you're struggling to believe that God loves you, I pray that, pray that you will be in a place today where you're like, yes, God does love me and I'm never gonna forget that or let that go. I pray today if you just need an encouragement or a top-up of the reminder of the love of God that this will be it for you as well. Here's what it says. I'm alone, yet not alone. God's the light that will guide me home with his love and tenderness leading me through the wilderness. 
And wherever I may roam, I'm alone, yet not alone. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? We're alone, yet not alone. I will not be bent in fear. He's a refuge I know is near. In his strength, I find my own. By his faithful mercy shown that, is so mighty is his, that so mighty is his shield, all his love is now revealed. When my steps are lost and desperate for a guide, I can feel his touch a soothing presence by my side, alone yet not alone, not forsaken when on my own. I can lean upon his arm and be lifted up from harm. If I stumble or if I'm thrown, I'm alone yet not alone. When my steps are lost and desperate for a guide, I can feel his touch, a soothing presence by my side. He has bound me with his love. Watchful angels look from above. Every evil can be braved for I know I will be saved. Never frightened on my own, I'm alone, yet not alone. I'm alone, yet not alone. This is the overpowering love of God that God prays for his people, that Paul prays for his people, that God would help them see that and that they would know the incredible breadth and length and height and depth and know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with the fullness of God. That is my prayer for your life and my life as we finish off Romans 8. Let me pray. So God, we thank you today for this incredible truth of the word of God. Simple prayer, God, as we end this series, as we end this ministry year, cause us and help us to know the fullness of the love of God in our lives. Cause it to go from our heads to our hearts, even this very moment, God, for those who have never experienced the love of Jesus. Father, in this moment, by your supernatural power, would you open up that heart and let them know the love of their God. For those, Lord, who have been struggling and doubting, oh God, would you remove all the blinders and all the fears and all the doubts and open up their hearts and pour in the love of God today, that love that never fails and never ends. Lord, for those who are walking in the religious way, but have forgotten these deep truths, these profound truths, these simple truths. God, would you remind them of that again today? May life not be about a duty, but it might be about a relationship with the God who loves them. And we renew a spark in them for the fact that God so loved the world and Jesus loves them. Father, for those that are living in this and abiding in this, would you protect them, God? Would you help them see in a greater way? We can never stop learning about the vastness of your love. Would you open up their lives to a greater encounter and experience with the love of Jesus? God, may we all leave here today wholly alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and applying all these truths to our daily weeks and daily months and to the rest of this year. We love you, Lord. How can we respond to this? Simply saying we love you. We love you, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.